Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. excited today to have Dr. Lindsay Harper, the founder and CEO of Rosie, an app for women with decreased sexual desire. Dr. Harper created Rosie out of frustration when she couldn't find a modern and accessible resource to help her many patients with this problem. Rosie is a resource to connect the 25 million women in the United States with decreased sexual desire with hope, community, and research-backed solutions to improve their lives. Dr. Harper completed her ob residency at Baylor in Texas, and she saw patients in private practice for seven years and is now a hospitalist. She's an associate professor of OB-GYN for Texas A&M College, a fellow of the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, and a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. We're so excited to have you in this podcast, Dr. Harper. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. So I want to tell people how we met in real life. So yeah. we've actually met in real life. And my like my short story of that is we met in a bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. where all good things happen. Totally. I'm like, maybe her side of the story is different than mine. But I was in the bathroom at an Ishwish conference in Arizona. And we're both in a female physician Facebook group and that we're both kind of active in. And she recognized me and said hello. <laughs> and that kind of like spawned our, our relationship going forth. I have like many really awkward moments like that. I have a knack for making things super awkward, but I can't help myself. I'm like, oh, that's Kelly. I know her. We got to talk. I know. It's awesome. No matter if it's the bathroom or not. Totally. And we're, you know, just being at Ishwish, which is the sexual health, you know, women's sexual health conferences, like we've already both have similar interests, but you know, with me coming in from urology and you coming in from OB-GYN, like it's so fun to find like-minded people. It is. It's so energizing. And I love conferences like that and brave enough just because the energy that we get from one another to just really propel ourselves forward in our fields is like so magical. I love that kind of stuff. I miss oh, it right now. I know. I know. I'm like, when can I go to a conference again? Like yeah. it's like Disneyland <laughs> for me. <laughs> it is. It's so fun. Totally. So tell us how Rosie started and how Rosie started and what were you doing prior to Rosie to like build up to Rosie? Yeah. So I was in private OBGYN practice and truly I love, I love women's health. I loved, you know, pregnancy and surgery, all that stuff. But my patients kept asking me about, you know, sexual problems. They would say, Hey, I love my partner or husband, but I really don't care if we ever have sex again. And like, this wasn't one person, but this was over and over multiple times a day. And so, you know, I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to be doing for these women? I hadn't been trained in residency about sexual dysfunction, which I think most people think that OBGYNs are, but unfortunately most of us aren't. And so I started asking around, I asked my partners, I asked, you know, these Facebook groups of women physicians, like, what does everybody do? And I just kept running into recommendations that I didn't really feel comfortable passing along. And these are recommendations coming from great doctors whom I love and I trust and I respect. And I know they have great intentions for their patients, but the lack of training for physicians on these topics just leaves us without great answers. And so from there, I found out about ISWISH and I joined and really, I mean, I remember my first fall conference and I was like, oh my gosh, like they're using all these words I've never heard before. Like, did I miss this whole part of residency? You know, like what in the world And I really became, you know, I came to understand that there are tons of evidence-based interventions 
for all aspects of sexual dysfunction and even what those aspects were. Like I just, my eyes had been opened. And once I learned that, you know, 43% of women have some type of sexual dysfunction, I was like, man, there's a huge opportunity and not just an opportunity, but really an obligation. I feel like to get this word out, you know, as, as loudly and as, as widespread as we possibly can. I know you and I are on the same page when it comes to that. And so that's really where the idea for Rosie was born. It's like, okay, how can we get this information out so that not another woman feels isolated, embarrassed, ashamed, and suffers maybe personally with her own sexual self-esteem, but also in her relationship, you know, which can have many negative effects on, on not only her, her relationship, but also her family. How can we get this really meaningful information out quickly in the hands of as many people as possible. So anyway, that's what we do with Rosie. And I love it so much. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's really grown, right? It has. It's been great. So we launched on Valentine's Day of uh, 2019. And so by the, right now, it's the spring of 2020. And we have more than 20,000 users. We've raised around a funding. We have more than 2,600 healthcare providers. So doctors and therapists uh, recommending Rosie to their patients. And, you know, we're just, we love sort of the support that we're getting, not only from our users, but also from the medical community too. That's insane. Like that's insane growth, you know, and just learning about like how long it takes for like, that's like just a little bit over a year and a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, pandemics have have actually been good for business, to be honest, (laughs) right? because people, people are looking for, you know, things to do. The erotica part of Rosie has been wildly successful during this time. So we're happy to kind of meet people where they are, whether they're in a normal world or in a pandemic world, for sure. Awesome. Well, tell us, tell us for people who might not know, what's the definition or is there a, like a medical term of low sexual desire? How do you go about talking to people about that? Yeah. So really when I'm talking to women or on the platform, low desire just means, you know, a, it's a woman's subjective observation. So if you had sort of one you know, level of desire, and now it's lower, and that's bothersome or distressing to you, then that is low sexual desire. Oftentimes, you know, I'll get asked like, oh, if I should, how often should I be having sex, you know, like X number of times a week or X number of times a month or whatever. And there is no answer. So it's not a quantitative measure, but it is more of a subjective response. So if a, if a patient says, hey, I've got low desire, it's causing me, these problems is causing my relationship, these problems, and I'd really like to work on it, then that's sort of where we come into play. Awesome. And, you know, one big surprise to me, because I went to that Ishwish conference and there was tons of OB guys there. And I'm like, why are you guys here? <laughs> Don't you know this? Like in urology, I'm like, we, we learned all about the men. We learned all about the men and sexual function and stuff. So I just assumed that OB guys get that training. So if a woman goes to an OB-GYN, they, the thing is, don't always assume they know, but how does somebody bring it up with their doctor? I know. I mean, and that is the tragedy here, right? That the medical community and really bigger, that society doesn't value women's sexual health enough to incorporate it in the training of a women's health expert, right? Like that to me is insane. And, and we are really doing everything we can to change that. There were a few women's sexual health questions on the board exams this year. So that is a really positive sign nice, for us. And the, the, there's, we have the first woman president of ACOG right now. And so I, I feel that there's a positive trend towards that, but I think that we could all be doing more to push that further along faster because it can't happen fast enough. In my opinion, back to your question, you know, I think that we know that only 17% of OBGYNs ask their patients about sexual health, which is one thing that I'm working on. 
Because I think in the past, when you don't have training and you may, you may not know what to do with a complaint, you're much less likely to ask about it, right? But if a, if a physician knows, hey, there's a resource like, you know, Dr. Casperson's podcast or Lindsay's app, you know, then they are, I feel that they would be much more likely to ask the questions, right? So we're trying to, my message to physicians is, hey, it's not that complicated because that's always the tagline that goes with women's sexual health. It's complicated. Right. Yeah. And if we can just dissolve that myth, then we can say, hey, let's do, you ask, that's A. Then B is to recommend a book or an app or some more F information. And then C are one of these evidence-based interventions. We can really demystify the whole thing. And so I really want to make it not complicated for physicians to ask about. But the only way we're going to do that is through education. So in the meantime, I would encourage patients, you know, to say, hey, I've, I've been suffering with X, Y, or Z for this amount of time. Like, what do you, what resources do you know of, you know, to where I could start to look into that or learn more about it? And I also think it's important that from a physician perspective, we, we know we don't know everything, right? We feel like we should, but we absolutely don't. And that's okay to tell our patients. I think that what's not okay to tell our patients or to communicate either verbally or non-verbally is that we don't care about these really big issues that could be affecting their lives, not only from a medical perspective, but psychologically and relationally as well. So I would encourage physicians to all ask and at least have just the next step, just one resource up their sleeve. And then I would encourage patients that if you're having a problem, like there's no time like the present to bring that up with your provider. Awesome. I love it. That's great advice. One of my biggest ahas, because I'm self-taught too, right? Like urology was was all about the men. And we were told like women are too complicated. Like it's this thing out in the universe that nobody has the the secret to yet. And I think that's just yeah. a nice excuse of either not caring or, you know, not look. Because you're right. Data has been around for a long time. So one of my biggest ahas was learning about responsive desire. And being able to explain that to women just normalizes so many people's experience. Can you discuss responsive desire in your own words? Totally. I agree with you completely. And I think communicating this idea is really powerful as well. So for me, when I think about spontaneous desire, the way that I explained it is it's like, oh, I'm just typing at my laptop and all of a sudden I have like a sexual thought or fantasy. Like I cannot identify with that at all <laughs> personally as a woman like that. I don't know that that's ever happened to me, but, and that's maybe how the model is for men. Like they literally just have like, you know, random thoughts of sex or fantasies throughout the day. For, for most men, not all men follow that model either. But for women, you know, 30 years after we first sort of documented that sexual response cycle, which is that desire comes before arousal and then comes orgasm, then there's this other sex researcher, Rosemary Bassan, who suggested that maybe actually arousal comes before desire for many women, meaning that oftentimes women need to seek out, you know, sexual stimuli in order to feel aroused and then they feel desirous for sex. And many more women can identify with that model than with the previous model. And that just really helps to open women's minds that they're not broken, that there's nothing wrong with their relationship, that they can actually start to seek out these tools like erotica or whatever speaks to them to try to get them in the mood more often. And they don't necessarily need a medication or need therapy or any of these really dramatic interventions, but that they can just rely on these very simple, free, safe tools to really kind of kickstart their desire again in a, in a way that many women identify with. Awesome. 
Your most recent video on the Rosie app was talking about loss of trust in a relationship and how that affects desire. I see that a lot in my practice. Can you share some knowledge about that with us? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense when we think about sort of the definition of intimacy and either emotional intimacy or physical intimacy requires, or it's sort of the definition of that as being vulnerable in front of another person, right? Like you're able to share something that you wouldn't share with anyone else. And if in a relationship that, you know, another partner has, you know, quote unquote strayed, whether it's a emotional, you know, relationship with someone else that that wasn't agreed upon or a physical relationship, or even, you know, I hear about instances where, you know, women are offended by their partner watching porn, things like that. then that puts up a wall between the two people where that vulnerability becomes much more challenging. And, and then therefore, you know, there's a a loss of desire to be intimate with that person because you don't want to let your guard down. You don't want to be vulnerable in front of them again. And so I think that it's important to communicate to couples who've had a loss of trust that that can definitely be, you know, repaired. And if both parties are willing and committed, that it usually requires some work, oftentimes with a therapist, but that the relationship on the other side of that can be better than it was even prior to that because you work on communicating, right? That's what that's what sex is all about. That's what life is all about is communication. And oftentimes in relationships where there's been you know, a lack of, or a loss of trust, it's because there was a loss of communication on one front or another. And then through that therapeutic time, then you're able to work on those communication skills, maybe share sexual communication that you've never shared before, and then get to an even stronger and better place on the other side of that. So, you know, I, I am an eternal optimist and I always want to share a hopeful message. Clearly the breaking point would be if one party in the relationship was not committed um, to making those improvements, then, you know, maybe it's time to close up shop. But if both people are committed and that, then that trust can definitely be rebuilt. So awesome. I love it. I think it's a really important topic. So thank you so much for having that video. Yeah. Well, and we, it's, it's interesting because so, you know, you and I can talk about this stuff all day long, but within Rosie, when a user onboards, we use a specific screening questionnaire for this specific type of low desire called HSDD or hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And that screening questionnaire, the fifth question of it asks, what do you think is contributing to your loss of desire? And there are, you know, like uh, several things that you could select, like a medical problem or depression or substance abuse or partner problems. There's a lot of them, but actually we've discovered through Rosie that there's some really glaring things missing from that fifth question on the DSDS. And it's very, you know, power empowering to discover what those are. And because not only are we missing them from a product perspective, but we're missing them from a medical perspective. And then to really create content and and start communications and conversations around those different topics. So anyway, uh, it's, I love it's, that. It's, I love that fun never ends. your platform is big enough now that you probably have all this data and research that you can really actually push forward the science. Oh, that is so cool. I've, it's so fun. I presented a poster at Iswish um, this spring with a study of 606 of our users demonstrating Rosie's efficacy in all domains of um, sexual desire. So yeah, we have a great data set. All of our data is de-identified for anyone who is worried about privacy. It is it feels so good to be able to contribute back to the body of knowledge because there's a lot of work to be done and we can we can help to answer some of those really important questions. That's awesome. I love you know going back into just kind of desire again and, and that trust. I saw somebody who she, she was coming to me for desire, like it's this lost puzzle piece, right? 
And they were actually in marriage counseling for significant marital issues. And so she was trying to fix and find that desire for sex in the setting of this big interpersonal relationship challenge. And it kind of opened up my eyes to be like, desire isn't this one little piece that you have or you don't. It kind of can come, but you you know, working on all those other pieces that kind of suppress desire. I'm like, no kidding, you don't want to sleep with this guy. You guys are like in significant marital stress right now. Absolutely. It's kind of like a, I mean, you know, I think when people are fully educated about desire and they know all of the sort of models surrounding desire, then you can think of it as a vital sign. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's an indicator because if I know that I have responsive desire, I can seek out the tools that I, you know, use to initiate responsive desire, but I still, you know, there's still something missing there. That's an indicator of something else. And that doesn't mean it's terminal that everybody's got to, you know, give up, but I think you're exactly right. It's, there are so many layers to, you know, human sexuality, but that's what makes it so interesting and such an opportunity not what makes it, you know, too hard or too complicated by any means. I agree. And I I think, you know, part of the challenge of it is like, you know, educating people that it's not a missing puzzle piece. Like you can't just go get the desire at a drive. Plug it in. It's it's complicated and it's society and relationships and your own personal health. And to me, that's what makes it so interesting and so fascinating to talk about. Absolutely. Me too, girl. We're on the same page. (laughs) We're on the same page. Team Rosie. (laughs) So That's recently, right. Rosie was educating women about erotica. Can you talk to us about about the science and why erotica works and why it's so helpful for so many people? Because I think, you know, a lot of women, if they've never experienced that, might kind of have a lot of shame about maybe going into those topics. Talk to me about erotica. Totally. I mean, okay, so when I was thinking about Rosie, like, okay, we're going to make an app and we're going to plug in all the evidence-based tools for low desire, right? So I knew... I just, I just pulled the ones that I knew. I knew education, improved desire. So we've got a ton of educational videos. I knew that self-help where women learned about, you know, their bodies through Lori Mintz's work, that that is shown to improve desire. And I know that erotica improves desire. And that is from several studies where it's like, hey, we can do no intervention or read erotica, or we can do self-help or read erotica. These women show remarkable sort of long-term improvements in their levels of desire and decreased levels of distress. I'm like, well, that sounds fun. Like, I don't know. I'm not like, I wasn't a huge erotica person before Rosie, but I mean, that sounds like a cool like aspect. So we just kind of dove right into it and included a library of really short stories. It's our goal always to meet women where they are. I we are both very busy moms, you know, it's like, who has like, you know, an hour to dedicate to this kind of stuff. Nobody does. So all of our stories are just a few minutes long and they're meant to kick off this responsive desire cycle where it's like, Oh, maybe I can take a break from my like ridiculously busy day and spark this little flame in my head that thinks about sexual thoughts. Maybe that part of my brain has been shut down completely for years. And this is the first time that I'm allowing or being receptive to some thoughts like that. I think that it can be empowering in so many ways because it it can show women how to fantasize maybe in a way that they have never even considered or even thought that they had a right to in the past. Our users are unique. They are not typical erotica users, much like you've suggested, because many of our users find erotica off-putting to be, to be really honest. And we've had to handle that really specifically. So We have three, like a three flame tier. So the first flame is romantic like the notebook. So if you are brand new to erotica and you're not so sure about it, 
then there's we take time to educate our users about responsive desire, about how erotic can be, can be used as, as a tool for that. And then you can start out with one flame married stories. I mean, these are the tamest stories anyone's ever read. And they simply reference sex. We're not having, there's no explicit language in those. And then, you know, if you're uncomfortable, the last thing I want to do is put, you know, my sort of system in someone else's values. But if you're uncomfortable, that's totally fine. You don't have to go back into that part of the app. But if you find that, oh, you know what? This actually could be a tool that's useful for me. And the goal is improving my relationship, becoming in in touch with my sexuality, you know, really understanding pleasure and fantasy. Then you can start to step it up. You can start to explore other genres or you can stay right where you are, whatever is best for our user. We really are very invested in improving women's lives. And this is just another avenue that we know is actually really useful in doing that. And we try to handle it really delicately so that we don't offend any of our users for sure. And I love, I mean, I love that it's within your, the Rosie app too. Cause I think for a lot of women, they're like, I don't want somebody to watch me reading a book or like being on a website for it of like, it's in this app. It's your own very personal thing. And nobody else is even going to know. Nobody knows there's no, and that's another thing we were thinking about. There's no transactional history. Like you didn't buy like, you know, (laughs) some of the names of these erotica books are, are really intense. So yeah, there's, it's all, it's all sort of in its safe little place and it's all for the purpose or the goal of improving, you know, your, your sexual relationship, your sexual self-confidence. It's not as if we're like, you know, in the porn business or something. It is, it is a tool to achieve a goal that has some other positive effects along the way. I love it. A lot of people who listen to my app are health professionals. What resources does Rosie provide for them? Yeah, well, we, you know, my background as an OBGYN, knowing how really time limited we are, like, you know, we've got 10 or 15 minutes with these patients and you're walking out the door. This is the classic scenario where your patient's like, oh, and oh yeah, like I've got low desire or trouble with orgasms or whatever the sexual, you know, complaint is. And you've got two people in labor, you know, you were late to the office to begin with because your surgery went over and there's 10 people waiting for you in the waiting room. And you're like, oh, like, are you like for real? And so, but it's my goal that we give these women some really great tools, but also to save these doctors and other healthcare professionals time. And so that's where really I, I view Rosie fitting in. And so if a doctor or other, any, anybody with an NPI really is interested in providing Rosie as a resource to their patients, then they can come onto our website and just sign up and we send doctors and other healthcare professionals a box. It's got patient cards in it, a really soft pink t-shirt <laughs> um, and just some, yay. <laughs> for today. It's awesome. Really soft. And then just basically a card explaining like why Rosie is, was created. So that way they can use that. So it, for example, if that, if that situation happens again, they can be like, oh, great. Like there's an app for that. And then like hand them this patient card and be on their way. So validating the patient's complaint, you know, really hearing that this is a significant problem in women's lives, but also like not giving you the anxiety and the, you know, distress of, of getting further and further behind in the office. And in the app, we counsel about a lot of next steps, whether it's a medication that's needed, whether it's a consult that's needed, or whether it's just these behavioral interventions, you know, maybe, maybe that can solve the problems, but maybe the patient comes back to you with a much more tailored ask next time. That's, that's more digestible to handle in in whatever time constraints you're under. Awesome. I love it. Tell me about the future. What's the future of Rosie going to, going to be, you've got some exciting things coming up. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is seriously so fun for me, right? So 
we have a lot of plans, but June 1st is our planned launch for telehealth in Texas. And um, we'll really, you know, we have, I think, such a unique value proposition because there's not very many doctors, you know, in the country that specialize in sexual health and there's not very many sex therapists. And so we're really, it's our goal to, and this was on the, on the roadmap before COVID BTW, but we're so excited that telehealth is kind of blown up right now because it's perfect. But I really want to reduce the time to diagnosis for these women. And I want to try to reduce the cost that it takes for them to get an accurate diagnosis. I think those are the two major barriers that women are facing now. And so we're vetting, you know, people with with particular health expertise in women's sexual health and sex therapists to be available for these women through the app. I have given grand rounds on this topic all over the country in the last year when we could travel. And, you know, one thing I would, I would always try to create a list of resources for the community that I was in. Like, Hey, here's a doctor in your community that specializes in sex medicine. And here's a therapist that specializes in sex therapy. And I could hardly ever find one, you know, like it was, it was usually travel to the, to this major city. And, and so I really think that there's a ton of value, not only for the providers practicing on our platform and for the patient's using Rosie and seeing providers on our platform, but also for all the doctors in our network who know that people have these problems, but haven't gotten the training. So then they can have actually like a telehealth referral source for this specialty care that we know that so many women need access to, but maybe they don't know that it exists. And even if they do, they don't have access to those providers. So I am really pumped about this opportunity for Rosie to just even further that commitment to women that we have which is, you know, to be there from the beginning to the, to the resolution or to the next season of, of their sexual health. I'm oh super gosh. excited about it. That is so exciting. I mean, even just Texas, Texas is huge. That's so yeah. many, so many women. That's fantastic. Thank you. And that's where, you know, I'm located. And so I have tons of, you know, friends here who, who are excited to be on the platform. So it's great, oh, but is... we'll be, we'll be rolling out across the country over the next year. Oh, wow. That's huge. That is so, yeah, that is so, so big. Fun. Oh. That's so exciting. So tell us again where women can find you on all this, all of your social media platforms. Okay, perfect. So my Instagram is Lindsay Harper MD, but my first name is, I got to blame my mom. It's spelled weird. It's L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-H-A-R-P-E-R-M-D. And then we are at meet underscore Rosie. So that's M-E-E-T underscore R-O-S-Y. Um, and then our website is meetrosie.com and that's R-O-S-Y. And then you can download the app from either of the app stores and all you need to do is search R-O-S-Y Rosie and it'll, it should pop up first thing. The app is completely free to download. All the educational content is hundred percent free. There's a seven day free trial to premium content and the premium content includes the library of erotica and then the library of self-help classes. And we're so excited about the classes part of the app this year because we're making so much new content. We're trying to figure out how to do it all in the time of COVID. That's been our biggest challenge, but and um, we just launched a new can- a class for cancer survivors. So for women who have been had a cancer diagnosis and undergone treatment, um, we partnered with an oncologist and a psychologist to create nine different modules for these women all about specific issues that they face, such as vaginal dryness, pain with sex. We talk about dilators. We talk about partner communication, healthcare provider communication, like the whole sort of 360 degree experience for a cancer survivor when it comes to sexuality. And um, we're getting ready to launch a sexual pain class that we recorded with a, an expert on sexual pain. There's so much content this year that's going to be released in that part of the app. And it's all because we've heard from users like, hey, 
what about this? What about this? And I'm like, this is amazing. Like there's so much to be awesome. done here. They're just feeding and you more and more. They're just feeding me. I know beautiful it's like, things they, to create. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. So yeah, that's another fun thing that we've got going on. Oh, that is so cool. I mean, the, the cancer survivorship community, like, you know, a lot of oncologists, they're there to treat the cancer. They have mm-hmm. no experience in kind of the relationship quality of life stuff that comes after. And sometimes it's devastating and really changes people's relationships. Absolutely. And that's, and you know, now that I'm sort of more in that community since the launch of this class, there's no resources for these women. I mean, there's like literally nothing. And so we're so excited to learn how we can be more helpful to, you know, that's what we're all about. We're here to really help erase, you know, shame and isolation, which a lot of these women are feeling because they think they're the only ones with this problem since no one's talking to them about it and also provide those evidence-based resources. So the more we learn, the, the more good we can do for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. My listeners are absolutely going to love this podcast. So thank oh, you. Thanks for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate you. And I'm so, so excited that you're doing this. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you.